0: Welcome to Improbable Walks, the podcast that brings you to the streets of Paris, wherever you are. My name is Lisa Pasold, and I'm a writer and traveler who loves to walk in the City of Light. Every episode, we step into history by strolling down a different block of the city, exploring buildings and people of the past and of the present. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your time and ears. If you're just discovering the podcast, please check out my website, lisapassel.com, for previous streets and more information you can support this free podcast by visiting my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lisa Passold. Today we're strolling up from the Place de Clichy. Once upon a time, the unprepossessing Avenue de Clichy was the address to meet the great impressionist painters. This was also a good place to talk with writer Emile Zola and he'd probably want to discuss politics and the responsibility of the artist. Why was this so popular? Let's start in Place de Clichy, which sits between the 17th and 9th arrondissement at the western foot of Montmartre. Originally, this was the gate into Paris from the small town of Batignolles. What's now Place de Clichy was basically a customs house, setting taxes on goods entering the city. Today, the Place du Clichy is a busy traffic roundabout and a popular metro stop located on the former edge of Paris. The Place is known for its Belle Époque-era Brasserie-Café, the excellent Wepler. In the center of Place du Clichy stands an impressive bronze sculpture commemorating the Defenders of Paris of 1814 – in that year, during the return of Napoleon Bonaparte, the village of Batignolles was the site of a vicious fight between Parisians and the army of Europeans united against Napoleon. Here, Parisians fought the Russian army, and during the battle, the Barrière de Clichy, the city customs gate, was destroyed. The Place de Clichy today is bustling with traffic. From one side, stretching east, is the Boulevard de Clichy, the old boundary separating Montmartre from the city of Paris, and stretching to the west of the Place is the Boulevard des Batignolles, which arcs down towards the Arc de Triomphe. But today we're going to ignore both the boulevards and walk perpendicular to them up the Avenue de Clichy, Logically, with a name like this, it's no surprise that this avenue leads from the Place out to the suburb of Clichy. As we step away from the Place, we almost immediately find ourselves in front of an historical plaque. Because at number 7, Avenue de Clichy, we're standing on the old location of a famous guinguette run by Père Latouille. Ganguets were dance halls often on the outside of Paris city limits, so they could serve cheap wine that wasn't taxed by the city. This particular ganguets had a large outdoor space and was known for its great food and wine. During the famous Battle of 1814, Père Latruy gave away wine for free to the Parisian fighters. He famously said, «Drink, eat, empty the stock, don't leave anything for the enemy!» Today, the gardens and dancing are gone. Instead, there's an excellent independent cinema, Le Cinéma des Cinéastes, which shows arthouse movies. If you're looking for blockbusters, just head across the street. The Pathé Wepler faces onto Place de Clichy, and it's a large chain cinema with all the superheroes you could want. Be sure to check you're going to a VO film, version originale, because otherwise the latest Batman will be speaking French. It's difficult to imagine that in the first half of the 19th century, this really was a village, more of a country retreat from Paris. The town was annexed by the city in 1860 as part of Haussmann's urban expansion plan. The new neighborhood of Batignol was close to the railway station, convenient for factories developing to the northeast of the city, and as a result, there was a mix of housing, some old and inexpensive, much like Montmartre, and some fashionable apartment buildings on the new Haussmann Boulevards. This mix made it attractive to both workers and impoverished artists, as well as middle class families looking for larger spaces than central Paris afforded. If we keep walking a few more steps up Avenue de Clichy, we come to number 9. This used to be the location of the Café Garbois. The building no longer exists, but we need to talk about why this café became so popular with painters. If we walk just a few steps further up the avenue, if you look up, you'll see a beautiful mosaic of paintbrushes and an artist's palette. This was Monsieur Henkin's art supply shop, where Edouard Manet and other artists bought their paints and paintbrushes. Even today, though the art supply shop is long gone, the beautiful mosaic signage remains right across the first upper floor of the building. Check out the photos on my website, lisapassel.com. You'll be able to see the words Maison Fondée en 1830, i.e. the art shop was founded in the year 1830, written on the building in shiny ceramic tiles. Because local painters came here to pick up paint and brushes, they got into the habit of stopping for coffee or a glass of wine in the café next door. The Café Garbois was not glamorous. It was a typical working-class establishment furnished with plain wooden tables and chairs. The waiters wore the classic black vest and white tablecloth apron, and they served customers who were a rough-and-ready combination of working people and new bourgeois gentrifiers. The light came from gas sconces, coffee was served with cream and sugar at breakfast, and it was black for the rest of the day, and the wine was drinkable at best. By the late 1860s, this café was the place to talk about art with the most interesting artists, photographers, and critics of the city. The weekly art discussions started when painter Édouard Manet and writer Émile Zola first met here in 1866. They both lived a few blocks away. How do we know the exact year they started coming here? Because that's the date that Zola wrote a fabulously positive critical review of Manet's work. And Manet was so thrilled, he invited the writer to meet up for a drink. Because of his address, Manet was part of the Batignol group of painters. Today, many of the Batignol artists are now remembered as Impressionists. On this Avenue de Clichy, we are in Batignol. Edouard Manet, the painter, is remembered for his elegant and scandalous paintings. He was known as a charming, witty friend, the sort of person you absolutely wanted at your cafe table, because he was smart and fun and always up for a challenge. If you were to write a brief biography of Manet, you'd also have to include the fact that when he was 17 years old, he ran off to join the Merchant Marines after knocking up his piano teacher. His son was raised as the piano teacher's brother. In 1850, when Manet got back from his year of working the high seas, Manet's father agreed to let him study art. In the 1860s, Manet moved to the Batignolles. Despite his lifelong position as an artistic rebel, Manet longed to have his work included in the annual official art show, but he was rejected repeatedly. Critics called Manet's work vulgar, unartistic, and despite the support of friends, Manet became depressed. Shortly afterwards, his great nude painting, Olympia, was shown, and the Empress Eugénie hated that painting so much, she hit it with a parasol. Manet wrote to his friend, the poet Charles Baudelaire, "'They are raining insults upon me. I've never been led such a dance.'" No wonder in 1866, when he received an excellent review from an up-and-coming writer, Émile Zola, Manet invited the guy to meet for coffee. He was so pleased to finally have a good review. This meeting is what leads to the regular Thursday nights at the Café Garbois. Other friends of Manet start meeting him there, photographers, critics, they all drop by to grab a drink and gossip about the events of the art world, shoulder to shoulder with the working folk of the neighborhood. One of the regulars was the great 19th century photographer Nadar, along with painters Cezanne and Camille Pissarro, who soon brought his friend, the painter Claude Manet. The conversations at this café had a serious impact on the Impressionists. Because writer Émile Zola was very political, and he encouraged them to paint real modern life. After all, said Zola, it's very nice for artists to tromp around Montmartre and paint windmills, but what about the gritty real city Eventually, Zola's nagging drove Claude Monet to paint the great railway station Gare Saint Lazare just down the hill from here. Monet chose this ultimate modern symbol of the era because, although the idea seems obvious, it was quite scandalous at the time. You see, classical themes inspired by the Bible and by ancient Greece still held sway with the Paris Academy. To paint what was actually here, ordinary people in a train station, the city as it appeared, steam billowing from the locomotives, that was truly radical. Claude Monet was born in Paris, and his life represents many of the ups and downs of the artist's life. He was both local and outsider, ridiculed and hugely successful. He found inspiration here in the city, and he also fled the city to live in Giverny, a village just to the northwest. Maybe you've been out to see his famous garden at Giverny. You probably took the train from the Saint-Lazare train station that Monet painted. In his early life as a painter, Monet was often depressed. In his early career, his work didn't sell at all, and in 1868 he tried to kill himself because his young wife and newborn son were close to starvation. He stepped off a bridge into the Seine, but the water was too shallow to drown in, so he dragged himself out, soaking wet just in time for his unpopular paintings to be seized by creditors. What kept him alive after that was community. The Café Garbois here on Avenue de Clichy provided community. Doctors today tell us that loneliness is currently an epidemic, gaining ground, literally killing us. And that has always been true. Social isolation and loneliness lead to higher risks for all kinds of physical and mental conditions. Which means that places like this modest Café Gerbois literally kept painters like Monet and Manet alive. Claude Monet said, in fact, the café meetings encouraged us with stores of enthusiasm that for weeks and weeks kept us up until the final shaping of an idea was accomplished. The Batignol neighborhood was a refuge, not only because of this café, but also because there were available studio spaces where people could paint. Let's walk on past the former Café Garbois and continue up the avenue for a few blocks until we reach Rue La Condamine. We'll turn left at this street. Many different classes of people lived in this neighborhood. Both Edouard Manet and Zola lived nearby. They could afford nice middle-class apartments. People lived in these beautiful newly built Hausmann streets. But there were also smaller buildings and ateliers, like the studio rented by the painter Fred Bazille, here at number 9, Rue La Condamine. Fred Bazille was tall, svelte, talented, and generous. Originally from a wealthy, middle-class family in Montpellier, Fred Bazille was expected to study medicine, but he preferred painting. He rented this studio and shared the Batignolles space with his two best friends, Claude Monet and Auguste Renoir, who were local, penniless Parisians. This community is what helped painters like Claude Monet Go forwards and continue to revolutionize art. Sadly, Bazille didn't survive to see his friend's success. He was killed during the Franco Prussian War in late 1870. Today, from Rue La Condamine, we can walk up one block on Le Mercier, then turn left on Rue des Moines. Suddenly, we step into the beautiful 19th century park of Batignolles. This is one of the smaller gardens designed by the great Adolphe Alphonse who was responsible for improving public parks during the Haussmann renovations. Alphonse is almost unique among the people who worked for Napoleon III because after the Second Empire collapsed, Alphonse stayed in Paris and was beloved by Parisians. His gardens still rejuvenate the soul, and I think Alphon would approve of the fact that now if we walk out the top northeast corner of Batignolle Park, we cross the street and walk into a brand new park space named for the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., This utterly modern park was created barely a decade ago. My favorite part is the large marshland planting with beautiful water, flowers, and a healthy duck population. It's a great place if you like to run, and it's good for kids to let off steam. We can walk out the top of this park and stroll briskly along the Avenue de Clichy for five minutes. We'll cross out of current city limits for Paris and step just one block into the suburb of Clichy. Here, at number 4, Avenue Anatole, France, is where the writer Henry Miller lived, on and off, from 1932 until 1934. This is the time when he became involved with fellow writer Anaïs Nin. Nin eventually helped to publish Miller's infamous first book, Tropic of Cancer. But for now, I'm going to linger in the park and admire all the spring flowers blooming everywhere in Paris right now. If you enjoyed this improbable walk, please subscribe to the podcast and join my Patreon page. For photos and details about today's walk, please visit my website, lisapassel.com. Thank you so much for listening and for stepping into history with me. Until next time, when we go strolling into Paris together.